0: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Hello everyone, it's here? And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.
0: This episode is brought to you by our Patreon members. Thank you so much.
2: Join our Patreon for extra episodes, interviews, Extra content and to help support the podcast and help us continue to do the work we do.
0: Go to patreon.com slash ancient history fangirl to learn more. Things
3: Jesus never talked about abortion, homosexuality, and fornication.
0: I'm Jenny Williamson. And I'm Jen McMenemy. And this is Ancient History Fangirl. This is the last episode in our podcast takeover, focusing on abortion and contraception in the ancient world. As you all know, abortion rights are under attack in the United States since the Supreme Court majority opinion was leaked indicating that the court's conservative majority is planning to roll back our right to control our own bodies and lives. Today, our guest is Princess Oneika Auguste, a Caribbean feminist scholar, author, and theologian from St. Lucia. She holds a Master's of Divinity with a concentration in Church History and the New Testament, and a Master of Theological Studies in Biblical Studies with certificates in Medieval History and Medieval Religion. We're here today to talk abortion and abortion rights in ancient Greece and Rome, plus what the Bible has to say about abortion. Welcome, Princess! We're
2: so excited to have you here.
0: Hi! Good day, everyone! Hi! So... What are abortion rights like uh, where you're from in St. Lucia? Well, St. Lucia is a
3: majority Catholic, majority Christian country. About 60, between 60 to 70% of St. Lucians are Catholic. At least they go to church once a year, Catholic. Although our largest Protestant denominations are Seventh-day Adventists and Pentecostals. So we have that. And we have other religions like Hinduism and Rastafarianism, And there are Jews and Muslims here and there are people who are no longer identifying as religious but because we are predominantly Mormon Catholic and predominantly Christian nation abortion is a little tricky abortion is allowed when the mother's health is in danger. that means that you almost you have to die you'll like be almost re- dying to get an abortion and then in the case of incest and rape but then you have to go through psychologists and all that kind of thing to prove that it's affecting your mental health and that you're raped.
0: That sounds like a, a lot of people in the U.S. who want to roll back abortion rights have this stance as well. Like it's it's OK if you're if you're almost dead. Some people support the rape and incest exception and a lot of people don't. It's actually becoming less common, like a lot of this rash of bills that have put forward and even passed since 2018 has had no rape or incest exception at all.
2: I've seen something today that was like essentially people who can have children should be forced to have children. So infertile couples can have kids. And as someone who has struggled with fertility and doesn't have children at the moment, the idea of that absolutely horrifies me.
3: Yeah. And the thing about it, too, is that they talk about oh, infertile couples to adopt. But there's thousands of children who are in foster care. And then also, there are adoptees who have horror stories about their life. And even those who had good families do suffer from some abandonment issues. And it's basically a human trafficking, they're trying to make adoption a human trafficking ring thing.
0: Absolutely. I think that's a really good way to put it. It's human fucking trafficking. Like, It's one thing if people are choosing to carry a pregnancy to term and give it up for adoption, if that's your choice. But if it's not your choice, it's extremely exploitative.
2: Like, I am so, so pro-choice because I just don't think, I just don't think anyone has the right to tell you what to do. And I think that the idea, and we'll get onto this in a little bit, that it goes back to the Bible. Just, no, Jesus was not provost birth.
3: And the thing about it, from what I understood from certain Americans from different states, is that certain states have automatic laws that when they make the decision during the summer, the official decision is the same as the leaked decision, that some states will have automatic laws that will criminalize abortion. Even if they have democratic governors, someone from Michigan was saying that even though their governor is trying to fix it, if the governor doesn't fix it before the official decision, the law will automatically kick in and criminalize abortion in Michigan.
0: Yeah, the trigger laws. There are trigger laws in, I think, 20-something states now that would automatically criminalize abortion if Roe versus Wade goes away.
3: But New York and California have already said their state will be pro-choice, which is obvious, is New York and California. So that means if the official decision is the same as the informal decision, lots of people who can afford will be driving or flying to New York and California.
2: Once again, you set up that huge class divide, you know, people of color, people who are working class, people who can't really afford a trip to New York or California. You are forced to have this child to have another mouth to feed that you can't take care of. And it entrenches and ingrains poverty and lack of upward social mobility on top of everything else. Again, I don't understand the way the Republicans and the religious right look at things in this matter. I just don't get how they don't understand, or at least how religious people don't understand what they're doing is just essentially making people's lives so much exponentially worse.
3: They, they don't realize that they're making things worse. They, they talk about not depending on the government. So when you have this child, her family is going to try to get more welfare and social support system. So the Republicans and the religious right is talking about Oh, we have to be dependent, stop being dependent on government, pull up yourself by the boots, but you're making things harder to pull up yourselves by the boots. And like you said, Jesus never talked about abortion. Things Jesus never talked about. Abortion, homosexuality, and fornication. The only thing he talked about that had anything to do with sex was adultery and it was in the context of it, it was to protect the woman. Because if your husband divorced you, where are you going as a woman in the ancient world?
2: Again, it's one of the many reasons why I've got a complicated relationship with Christianity because you look at what Jesus talked about and it's like, you know, for his time, he was pretty forward and progressive. But also.
0: I also want to say, too, like um, to acknowledge, you know, like Jen and I are, of course, very angry about this. And of course, you are, too, Princess. Like, we're all angry about this. But like, Princess, you're like living in this situation now. Like in St. Lucia, you have abortion bans in place that are pretty restrictive.
3: Yeah. And I made a statement on my Twitter about, <laughs> I was after I was so angry and I was making a lot of tweets when I, I was saying I, I better not get pregnant here in St. Lucia um, because it's only when my life is in danger. Then my cousin corrected me and said, Oh, it's only when your health, your health is in danger. And then I said, also I can't even go to the U.S. unless I go to New York or California, because I can have abortion. So
2: the terminology that's used a lot of the time um, by the forced birth movement to co-op things like needing a late-term medical abortion because there's a problem with the mother or the child. That's why that happens. Nobody gets that far along in pregnancy and decides, you know what, I don't want to be pregnant anymore. I remember getting into almost a shouting match with my father of it. I was like, here's why late-term abortion is not a term I ever want to hear coming out of your mouth it's because when that happens when a, when a woman has an abortion that late into her pregnancy it's either her life is in danger the child is not viable or they have miscarried
3: yeah because even women who go through relatively easy um pregnancies their lives are still in danger i mean pregnancy is basically a a life-threatening disease <laughs> i mean not i shouldn't put it like that it's not a disease but
0: Every pregnancy could potentially be life-threatening. It's a, it's a
2: life-threatening medical con- condition. It is.
0: In St. Lucia, do people go to the U.S. if they need abortions
3: a lot? I'm not sure because I've never had one. I don't know the, the statistics, but I assume that if you can afford to go to the U.S. or England or Canada, you can afford to have an abortion there.
2: That's the opposite, because this is also a problem we have, is contraception is not free. In the U.S., it is free in the U.K. What is contraception like in St. Lucia?
3: Well, it's not necessarily free-free, but it's not. At least the condoms are not expensive. Birth control, I think you have to go to your doctor to get it. And then um, the morning after pill, you can go over the counter and get the morning after pill. You do have to pay, but I'm not sure how much. It's not that relatively expensive. I've never tried to get it. So but those I know who've tried to who've gotten it didn't have a problem getting it. So
0: morning after pill um I've taken it before and it was like 50 bucks and in Brooklyn I had to go to like three different pharmacies. Like either it wasn't in stock or somebody had some kind of religious objection to providing it, which I only found out later that that was even a possibility. Sometimes access is a problem here to the morning after pill even though it's available over the counter theoretically.
1: A woo a hand clap a high-fiver. I kind of like the high-five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. group. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18+. I'm Helena Bonham-Carter, and for BBC Radio 4...
0: So, in the ancient world, women usually didn't get a chance to control their bodily autonomy, as is the case in many places in the modern world. Women were married off without their consent, enslaved, sometimes forced into sex slavery. Life was very grim for women in the ancient world. This is a thing I've learned studying all this. But if a woman wanted to take control over her own reproduction, have an abortion, let's say, what options did she have in the ancient world? Let's say in ancient Greece and Rome.
3: Well... In ancient Greece and in ancient Rome, it was accepted and they weren't much concerned about protecting the unborn. And if they did object, it's because the father didn't want to be deprived of the child that he felt he was, he he deserved. So they didn't have a problem with it per se, unless the father wanted the child. And he will say, no, that this woman cannot have an abortion. So it was accepted in, in, in the Greek or Roman world for the most part.
2: It makes sense because that child is property and that child has a value to the husband.
0: What would happen to a woman who was caught having an abortion without the consent of her curios or husband or head of household?
3: I couldn't seem to find anything when I was researching it. From what I understood, it was unlikely for it to be punished. So I didn't see anything that was somebody would be punished for having an abortion,
0: at least in ancient Greece. What do we know about how people got abortions? Like the techniques, the herbs, the methods? Do we know, what do we know about that?
3: There's a lots of, in the ancient sources, there's lots of um, depictions of what women use for abortion. There's this Roman encyclopedias who offer a detailed account of the procedure to extract an already dead fetus in his work, De Medicina. So we have one ancient source that actually gives a detailed account of the procedure. But the fetus was already dead in the woman's womb, apparently. Apparently, the ancient Greece used the herb Sylphium, which is it's an identified plant. Um Apparently, apparently, it was used as seasoning, perfume, or medicine, or aphrodisiac. So that was used for washing and contraceptives. And the plant was an import from Cyrene. So they used that. And then Pliny the Elder said that they use a refined oil of common rue. Common rue is an ornamental plant and a herb. So they used that. And there's one classical Greek historian said that people used rue, egg, and dill for abortion and contraceptives. They use both warts to induce abortion. Galen, the physician, included a potion formula that could be administrated by mouth or in through the vagina. And it contains pepper and myrrh. So they use a lot of plans to perform abortions and to prevent pregnancy. Hippocrates would advise a prostitute who became pregnant to jump up and down, touching her buttocks with her heels at each leap, so to induce miscarriage.
0: I've heard of that one, yeah.
2: <laughs> I have heard of that one too. You're just like, I, please, let's not go back to those times, please.
3: He also said that um, he described... Instruments fashioned to go into the cervix and inside of the uterus to cause abortion. Some um, ancient Greek doctors prescribed diuretics, fasting, bloodletting, enemas, gorges, which are herbs for safe abortion methods. Some physicians advise against the use of sharp instruments to induce miscarriage due to the risk of hurting your organs. And there's this doctor called Sorantis, a 2nd century Greek doctor. He advised women wishing to abort their pregnancies to engage in energetic walking, carrying heavy objects, riding animals, and jumping so that women's heels were to touch their buttocks with each chest. Gen-
2: I just feel like he's telling them, okay, just keep living your life as strenuously as possible.
3: <laughs> he also offered a number of recipes for herbal baths and rubs. And there was this Greek pharmacologist called Dioscorides. Right? He listed ingredients of a drought called abortion wine. <laughs> it contained hellbore, squirting cucumber, and scamoni, but he failed to provide the precise manner in which it was repaired. Hellbore, in particular, is known to be used for abortion. And now we get into early Christianity. Tatilian describes surgical implants which were used in a procedure similar to the modern dilation and evacuation. One tool had a nicely adjustable flexible frame used for dilation and an annual blade used to with a hook used for extractation. The other was a copper needle of spike and he's attributed his ownership of such items to hippocrites, serenias and a bunch of other ancient Greek doctors. And that's it.
0: That is fascinating that there, there were like surgical methods for doing this way back then that don't sound that different from what we do now. I mean, I'm probably wrong on that because I'm sure it's a lot safer now. But that's fascinating. Do we know anything about how dangerous these methods were?
3: No, we from the sources, they don't go into a lot of them don't go into details of how they will perform. And so we don't really have what happened to women. Who tried this methods? As far as as my research went, I might be wrong. Somebody else might have come up with a source that shows how it either helped women or it didn't help women. Or I know that women often died in childbirth during those days, but I would want to know the rate, the maternal mortality, when it came to doing these procedures.
0: Yeah, I don't know that the numbers are out there. I've done research on maternal mortality specifically, and it's hard to find. You know, it varied from place to place and time to time, but they were quite high in some communities. From
3: the text, it says that the service was primarily provided by midwives or well-informed people. It was a woman's area. That's what they're saying. Let the women deal with it, apparently. Plato mentions it. Plato mentions in his... um, Theaetetus, my Greek is my ancient Greek is like um, pronunciation is horrible. Um, he says that um, a midwife has the ability to induce abortion in the early stages of pregnancy, but the poet Lassaeus suggests that abortion was a crime in Athens against the husband if his wife was pregnant when he died, since his unborn child can have claim his estate. Jonas Raskap, a historian, says that um, most abortions will not punish in ancient Greece. I'm not surprised Athens punishing people. You know, Athens... <laughs> Athens is that <laughs> that city. So I'm thinking, while in most of the other Greek city-states, abortion wasn't punished, maybe only Athens was it was punishable
0: in. So... If a woman has an abortion and her husband died, then it could be a crime that she had the abortion because the child could have inherited the estate. And now the estate would pass out of the family line if there was no other heir. Something like that? Is that accurate?
3: If it's a son, the, ch- the son will inherit the property. But if it's a daughter, when she marries whoever, her husband, that is part of her diary. And it still doesn't leave the family because the daughter has married the person who's getting it and her child will still be part of the, her father's um, line. Either way, it will remain in the family.
0: What do we know about um, abortion in the Bible? Does the Bible actually say anything about abortion? No, it, it really doesn't. It doesn't because when everything had,
3: when the um, opinion was leaked, I had lots of conversations with Jewish theologians and Jewish people on and off twitter and my dms and everything and you know actually judaism majority of judaism does not see the fetus as a um as a person because the bible doesn't say anything about it really because in exodus 21 22 to 25 it says when men have a fight and hurt a pregnant woman so that she suffers a miscarriage but no further injury the guilty one shall be fine as the woman's husband demands on him and he shall pay in presence of the judges. It's not abortion. This is not abortion. It's basically if she has a, if somebody um, attacks her, the man who attacks the woman has to pay. I have a
2: biblical question. I mean, it's no secret. I grew up very Catholic. I was telling Jenny the other day, like I remember in church, people praying for people who were getting abortions and that kind of stuff. I wonder if a lot of the abortion stuff that we see later in some Christian thinking has to do with what happens to unbaptized babies and the believing that, like, a fetus is an unbaptized baby if you abort it. So essentially, like, the feeling is if you have a child who's not baptized into Christianity and they die, then they go to limbo. And that's why you see, like, a lot of Christians, particularly in my family, Catholics, getting their children baptized young. I wonder about this whole is personhood and if it comes back from that.
3: Yeah, but um, that's not based on biblical. Um, in the old, in the Hebrew Bible and the Old Testament, it doesn't really. They don't really talk about unbaptized babies. It's just a Catholic thing. And I, I was talking about um, in the Bible, in the Hebrew Bible, there is no really reference in the Hebrew Bible about um, the intentional termination of pregnancy. But Numbers five eleven to it Free refers to the ordeal of the. Bitter Water, which is an ordeal that produces a miscarriage in an unfaithful woman, verifying or falsifying the charge of adultery.
0: The ordeal of the bitter waters is a big deal, and that's something I definitely wanted to talk to you about, because it is like, it's in the Bible, it's in, like you said, it's in Numbers, and it's it's like a, it's like a trial by ordeal, where a woman is given a concoction to stimulate an abortion. If she is guilty of adultery and if she's not guilty of adultery, she won't have a miscarriage. Mm hmm.
3: Yep. 11 to 31.
0: Incredible. And it's also in the Talmud, is that right?
3: Yeah. Well, the the Hebrew Bible is the Jewish Bible and the Old Testament is the Christian, part of the Christian Bible. So they have the same books, but I think the Hebrew Bible has more books than the Old Testament and it's arranged differently. The Hebrew Bible contains the Torah and the Talmud and I think something else. And the Old Testament is part of the Christian Bible. So it's kind of um, different. The books are arranged differently. And I think the Hebrew Bible has more books than the Old Testament. But Numbers is both in that verse is both in the Hebrew Bible and the Old Testament. So yeah, it's also in the Torah
0: I see. Okay, that makes sense.
2: So it's come across as like a major facet of of both the of, of the Judeo-Christian religions. It's in both places.
0: What do we know about um how the Bible treats miscarriages?
3: But what we know about miscarriages, the Bible does talk about uh, miscarriages. The ordeal of the bitter water is somebody intentionally trying to produce a miscarriage in an unfaithful wife, and then of course you have Exodus twenty one, twenty two, where it refers to a miscarriage as a result of a violent altercation.
0: That's the one where it's about like the penalty for causing someone to miscarry. How is women's reproduction viewed in the Bible? Were women just, like seen as just kind of reproductive chattel for men? Or did women have more autonomy generally?
3: It's so hard to um say because throughout the ancient world, including throughout ancient Judaism and early Christianity, being a mother was really important. You've had like women in the Bible, like Sarah, the prophet Samuel's mother, wanting a child. And then you have Genesis, Tamar in Genesis. She marries Judas's Sons, they keep dying, but she needs a child because as a woman in ancient society, you need a child to make sure that your position in the society is upheld. And you need some boy to take care of you when you grow older. And usually the sons will take care of their mothers. So when she realized Judah was not going to give her any of his last surviving sons to marry so she can reproduce... She disguised herself as a lady in the night and tricks him to sleep with her. She gets pregnant. When it comes out, he didn't recognize it was her, but he gave the prostitute that he thought she was something. And then she reproduced it. And in the end, he says that she was right and he was wrong because he was, he didn't give her the last, his last surviving son to marry so that she can have this child. So motherhood is very important in the biblical text. The women don't want to be infertile.
2: Do you think any of that sort of has come down through the ages to sort of look at how we view the importance of motherhood in modern times and what we place on women's bodily autonomy?
3: Yes, it's influenced because as a Catholic, you're supposed to marry a good Catholic boy and have lots of Catholic babies.
2: It's it's true. And I think one of the interesting things is that you look at it from a very practical point of view. In ancient times, women didn't really have bodily autonomy. They couldn't inherit property. It was very important that they were attached either to a big family with brothers who could take care of them or... They were able to go into roles, potentially priestesshoods and things like that, where they would be taken care of, or they had to have children because there was no other way to secure their place. And that seems to be very much what was the practicality of the time that has now sort of come down through to women's roles as the necessity of the time.
3: It was for her protection, because like you said, if you were a woman that didn't have children, but you had a large, came from a large family, you had brothers. You can go to your brother's house or your your brother's house and live or you become a priestess. Devote yourself to the temple.
0: And it's interesting to talk about it this way, just in terms of like the socioeconomic realities of women in ancient times. Like you can't just get a job and you can't just get, you know, a retirement account. Like your sons were specifically sons were your retirement account. So I would think that, you know, abortion would probably be in much less demand anyway, because women needed to do this for their own stability and survival.
3: Yep. But the bible itself doesn't really talk about abortion only miscarriages intentional miscarriages it, it talks about the only scripture that really talks about inducing abortion is the numbers text but it's like if i think you're cheating on your husband we you have to go through this ordeal and if you if the baby is aborted it's like no qualms about the baby or whoever did that ordeal of the bitter waters didn't care about what happens to the fetus. From what I understood from a lot of Jewish theologians and rabbis, I've been in conversation with them. They don't consider, I'm sure there are some in Judaism that do, but from what I understand from those who I spoke to, many in Judaism doesn't consider the fetus a person.
0: In the Bible, they don't seem to consider the fetus to be a person. Is that accurate? You,
3: it can be interpreted that way. And that's why I think that, the informal decision about overturning roe versus Wade is not only anti-woman, it's anti-Semitism also, because a lot of them in the Jewish in the Jewish religion do believe in abortion and all sects of Judaism allows abortion. Islam is also pro-choice. For I was surprised about that, and I was told that even in Countries like Saudi Arabia and Afghanistan, some form of abortion is allowed.
0: I did not know that. I didn't know that until
2: I was told. Going back to those biblical sources and and looking at it as in, you know, with the exception of the case of adultery, the Bible is not legislating or regulating abortions that women are having. And therefore, religion should not be regulating or have any control over laws. If you want to go back to like an actual biblical place for your guidance on this.
3: If we're going to bring religion into this, then you should read the text and see that the Bible doesn't really mention abortion. And if you're going to overturn Roe versus Wade, then you need to talk about, are you willing to introduce a law that if a wife is cheating, you're going to make her go through the ordeal of the bitter waters? If you want to be religious.
0: (laughs) because that's biblical
2: and, and that's just where i'm coming from like i grew up very catholic and i remember being very young and coming to terms with this probably like maybe like 14 15 and just being like well i don't understand isn't it he who is without sin that should cast the first stone like i can't decide what someone else should do in their life and jesus was like i don't know judge not lest ye be judged yes jesus did say that so how is any of this our business
3: and even if i i'm trying to wreck my brain to see where a lot of the Christians like getting this anti abortion rhetoric. I'm looking for the New Testament this morning and I cannot seem to find any whether Jesus or Paul or any of the other letters and epistles or whatever, I'm not seeing anything about abortion. So I'm trying to figure out where they get that. And I guess I guess they they're using that life begins at conception. But even though if you go through that, Adam wasn't alive until God gave Adam breath. So if you're gonna take that biblical account, the baby fetus is not a baby until the baby takes a breath.
0: Until it's born. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, and doesn't God cause a lot of miscarriages in the Bible? Like, doesn't that happen a lot?
3: Well, not God herself, but the writers of the biblical texts had their genders, and so there's a lot of the deity causing miscarriages and abortions and emphasize killing thousands of women and children and babies and all that kind of thing. But yeah, there is a lot of that in the
0: Bible. That's what I thought. I mean, I I haven't read the Bible in a really long time cover to cover, but I do remember reading it and thinking, gosh, there's so many killing of children in the womb in this by God.
3: That is when they say that we should take it into context. That is when these religious, the religious Raiwans say, oh, this, you have to take it in context. They say the same thing about slaves who obey your master, oh, you have to take it in context. But they want to take the other things in context too. Pick and choose what you want to contextualize.
0: Maybe we should take a woman choosing to have an abortion in the context of her life.
2: As you say, every time you come across someone who is forced birth, who says, well, you got to take it in context. I just look back to the context of the Bible and it it's such a different context that we're talking about. We're talking about women and children as property. And I don't want to live in a world where I am someone else's property or my child is someone else's property because that's a dark world. We've lived in that world. We're trying to like make the world better, right?
3: We lived in that world for most of history. It's only like in the 20th century and 21st century that women have really had any rights. And the
2: legislation of what a woman can do with her body is essentially saying that a woman doesn't have any right to her own autonomy. And once we get there, what's going to happen next? Who's going to lose their bodily autonomy rights? And that, to me, what is so scary.
3: They're going to go after interracial marriage, gay rights and civil rights next.
0: Brown versus Board of Education. I've seen them questioning that. I've seen them question Virginia versus loving, which is the right to have an interracial marriage. Like it's really fucking shocking the stuff that Republicans have been talking about rolling back. And once you decide that the right to privacy isn't a thing, all of that is called into question.
2: I mean, it's not just the right to privacy. It's also the right to bodily autonomy, right? Like once women don't have it, it's how soon before everyone has no bodily autonomy.
3: Because remember, women were the first group to get, well, white women in the United States were the first group to get rights. And then everybody else trickled in. Once you go after women's rights, you know everybody else is followed. White women were the ones who got their rights first. And so everybody else is started trickling, Native Americans, Blacks, Hispanics, gays, everybody else. I think now, I think homosexuality got off the DSM, in the 1970s and 1980s, the DSM is the mental health book that they used to diagnose people in therapy. So once they go after women's rights, they go going everywhere. Which, of course,
2: we all know that that is not a mental illness. But again, as you said, it's so recent that it's actually been acknowledged that this is they are not mentally ill.
3: That's why I, I think everyone should be very afraid because if they go after women's body autonomy, Women cannot go and get abortion in the United States except in maybe New York, California, Illinois, Maine, and other few states. It's going to affect women of color because they're going to be in the poverty line. Not all women of color are poor, but it's going to affect them. It's going to affect Jews and Muslims. If the majority of Jews sees this fetus not as a person, then it's attack on them because it's part of the religion to do this medical procedure in certain aspects of islam it is part of the religion to do this medical procedure so it's anti-woman it's anti-black it's anti-brown it's anti-semitic it's anti-islam it's Islamophobic. if everyone was listening to black and brown people and jews and muslims Because they've been talking about, they, Black people and brown people have been talking about how these people were going to go after citizen rights, but nobody was listening. If they were listening, this would never happen. Because everybody thought that Roe versus Wade was set to law. Absolutely. And these people lied. These people lied. They need to be impeached because you lied. And the oath.
2: I remember watching a documentary that's no longer on Netflix. That was on Netflix, which was called Overturning Roe which was all about the fight to overturn Roe versus Wade. And I am, you know, very guilty of being someone who sort of didn't think about this a lot because I I thought, like, well, this is done. There's a law. People are protected. After I watched this documentary, I was fuming. As soon as this was done, they've just been trying aggressively to reverse the decision for 50 years, and now we're here. And as Prince has said, like, there have been... Black and brown people who've been telling us this is coming for a long time.
3: They have been talking about reversing rule versus Wade for years. That's not the only thing they've been talking about. They've been talking about brown versus brown. They've been talking about loving. They've been talking. They've been wanting to get rid of those rights ever since those rights were
0: given. Absolutely. The whole civil rights movement, they want to erase it. Can we just stop for a minute and tell
2: people what loving, I know what they are, but can we just tell people who may not know what loving and the brown versus the board? I they should know, but just tell them.
3: Oh, yeah, that's true. That makes sense. Because a lot of people might not know what it is. Um, from what I understand, um, the lovings were interracial couple who it was illegal to be married in Virginia. And so... It was a court case, it was a Supreme Court, Loving versus Virginia, and of course, they won. It wasn't as easy as I make it sound, but (laughs) they won. I know
2: so many interracial couples now, and they are only able to be married and to be together because of that decision. Yeah. And that decision, I don't remember when it was, but it's a lot later than you think it is, which is horrifying. And then Brown versus the Board of Education was about desegregating schools. And um, the idea that everyone should have the chance to not a separate but equal education, but an education where everyone gets the same education together, integrated. And the idea that they want to overturn that is horrifying and not surprising.
3: Yep, it's horrifying. But you know what? I've told a lot of my American friends when I was studying in the US, yes, England and Europe have their own racism issues but interrelation marriage was never illegal in the UK as far as I know
2: I don't think it was I think one of the things that's been super important that we've been seeing a lot more of particularly in history and I know we try and do it on our podcast too is making it more visible people of color people who are queer who are non-binary, who are non-conforming in history and bringing them to the forefront because they have always been there. The women's rights movement wasn't only done by white women. There were women of color there. There were all sorts of people there. The same goes for deep in the annals of ancient history. There have always been, you know, transgender people as priestesses and in other roles. And I think part of what a lot of over the past four years, the fact that we were seeing more and more Stories about people of color, stories about queer people in all areas of history and bringing them to the front is here to tell people that they have always been here. Their stories have just been ignored because either they're harder to find, they're not as well documented or it didn't fit the narrative that someone was telling. And I think that's super important that we continue to raise and lift that up now more than ever as we watch potentially bodily autonomy slip away.
3: When you say there have always been people of color and transgender and people, somebody was saying, oh, they didn't know that there were Black people in Spain and France and these places. And they said, oh, these Black people must be recent from colonization. But what you don't understand, Black people have been in Europe, especially Western Europe, since the Roman Empire. (laughs) So since before
2: that, since before that, I mean, literally Africa and all of the Mediterranean They've always been neighbors, right? And anything that you can think about in in the ancient world was about the exchanges of goods and cultures. So the idea that you would not have seen Black people in all of the Mediterranean and then going up into Western Europe is this fallacy that we have created by trying to whitewash the Mediterranean to make it look more like something from the BBC from the 70s which again when you look back through all of England I mean they are you know they have a very horrible colonial past and they're never going to get over that but they've always had people from all over coming in particularly into places like London you know whenever I see someone being like that's not historically accurate I'm like um I'm pretty sure it is let me tell you about what was going
3: on at Adrian's wall
0: there were North African legions on the Antonine wall mm-hmm. and then when they talk about
3: like, Bridgerton, that, that Netflix, in there. yes, it's historically inaccurate, we know that. But people are, like, upset that, oh, they saw black people in the wealth upper classes. Yes, there were black people in the upper classes. We're not denying that England has this horrible colonial history, horrible colonial past. Oh, by the way, the royal trip did not go well over <laughs> in the Caribbean, right?
2: Ooh. Oh, please tell me about that in a little bit. I'm so. I was telling Jenny about it, and I was like, oh. Or I was telling my mother about it. I think
0: it, it went very badly. It went <laughs> so badly for
2: so. I can't remember if it was Bermuda or Jamaica. Who's like, yeah, a happy jubilee? Now get the fuck out. <laughs> and then
3: they sent um, the forgotten, the forgotten son, but it didn't work. Sending Edward did not work. <laughs>
2: Um, But no, I I think that's super important. I mean, (laughs) I also think that number one, Bridgerton is a fantasy and we should be allowed in our fantasies and our fiction to properly show people of all races and colors as having wealth and privilege and power, because if we don't do that, then we're essentially saying like this has only ever existed for one people and it is white people. And that is not true. And number two, as, as Princess said, there were people in the upper echelons of society who were people of color.
0: There were Roman emperors who were Black. Mm-hmm. That is a fact. <laughs> there were, um, like I said, North African legions on the Antonine Wall. Black people were in the ruling classes in ancient Rome. Like, all those whitewashed statues were not all painted white.
3: <laughs> yep, basically.
2: I think you have to remember that across the ancient world, those white statues were painted many colors. You know, mm-hmm. they were brown, they were black. Some of them might have been white. They were whatever the people wanted them to be. You know, we need to get over this idea. Like, these marbles were never meant to just be white. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, and they were brown people. Alexander the Great ended up in Pakistan and Iran and India, so.
0: Like, I think he tried to appropriate their whole culture at one point. It's always been like the ancient world was a little
3: more progressive than our modern world. Because, yes... The man was still the head and you still had to take the man's word into consideration. But abortion was practically, they didn't really care <laughs> for the most part.
0: Princess, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been really incredible.
2: Yeah, it's been so wonderful to have you here.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: Tell us where, uh, where people can find you online if they want to see more of your work and your writing or follow you on social well, you can
3: follow me on Twitter at Isles Theologian, And Instagram is the same thing at Isles Theologian, And then I have a Patreon. It's Caribbean Feminist Scholar. That's where my um, writing is. I have a face official Facebook, but I don't use Facebook that much.
0: (laughs) We're the same. We have a Facebook, but we're we're not on it as much as I'm sure people would like us to be. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on. And thank you so much for listening. And we will see you next week to the listeners.
2: (laughs) We'll see you all next week when we return back to our most likely gender rebel series.